Hey friends, this is your friendly spoiler alert. If you are still in season one, please stop now or forever hold your tweets. We're trying to untangle the jingle from the jangle. It's easy to listen with your heart. Welcome to The Real Housewives of Riverdale, the podcast where grown-ass adults take your sexy teen murder mysteries just as seriously as you do. I'm your host, Cherie, and today, Ashley was supposed to join me, I have that in my notes, but she had other things to do. She had to stuff Easter baskets and stuff because it is a few days before Easter, Um, and we've got kiddos, so I did mine last week because, you know, on the ball and whatever, but not really. I just had like a spare hour in between all of the nonsense. But anyway, um, I'm, so I'm flying solo today, but I'm here to discuss Riverdale season two, episode 17, chapter 30, the noose Titans. And so (laughs) my notes say the noose Titan refers to dot, dot, dot. Nothing is what it refers to. It doesn't refer to anything. So I couldn't find a movie, a book, a TV show, nothing. When I googled the news Titans, all I got was Riverdale, season two, episode 17. <laughs> so, um, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> it's cool. So, anyway, before we even leap into the episode, when they did the previously ons, I noticed a scene where Veronica calls Archie and tells her that she isn't dropping out of the race because she isn't a quitter, and Archie says, I know. That's why I want to be your running mate. And I swear, I either missed that scene entirely last week, or it was not in the episode. Like, I'm not sure. Do you remember that happening? Because I don't. And and to be fair, I only watched it the one time while I was taking notes, so I might have missed it. But I have, like, zero recollection of that. Anyway, so this episode starts in The Sisters of Quiet Mercy, where Cheryl is deep into gay conversion therapy and like not even the weird therapy that is still disgusting and awful that a lot of um a lot of states in the south still allow it's like a draconian torture with shots and brainwashing videos and it's all awful anyway it's movie night at, at Gay Conversion Hell, and Kevin and Moose star in a goofus and gallant plot. So, I guess she's having a fever dream. Like, what is happening right now? They they didn't resolve that. I like. I know she had to watch the movies, but is that like is that just her imagination that she's putting into people that she knows? Does she even know about Moose? I don't know. Anyway, so cut to student body president debates for Alice's moderator, of course, and the serpents, mostly Sweet Pea. He's worried that they won't get representation, even though the leader of their, like, junior chapter is running for president. So just, like, chill out, Sweet Pea. Take it down a notch. Midge has a question. She makes a good point about Archie and Veronica's parents being on opposite sides of the mayoral race. And Veronica like feeds us some BS about never discussing politics at the dinner or cafeteria table. (laughs) Oh man. So I don't know if you guys noticed their campaign buttons, but they're 
purple and they have lodge in like giant cursive letters and at the bottom there's a teeny tiny Andrews <laughs> oh dear so we get a very gift-worthy eye roll from Betty on this. Bless that child's animated face. It was wonderful. And uh, apparently Josie is Reggie's running mate. That's new. And Reggie gets a super funny line in with, like, you should vote for us because we're chill. Unlike these guys. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Reggie is always either the worst or the best. There is no in between Reggie. Betty and Jughead now have to, like, run from heat-seeking missile Alice after the debate. But she finds FP instead. She tries to give him some, like, holier-than-thou nonsense, and he says that he and Jughead are sleeping on the pull-out couch so that Betty can have the bedroom. So, is that where Jughead sleeps normally? Does he not have a bedroom in the trailer? And not to say that, like, there's anything wrong with that. I just assumed that he had a room. Because, like him and Betty slept in his room at, um, in the season two, episode seven, the one with like all the, the three-parter with all the tales from the dark side. So was he sleeping in FP's bed then? Like, I don't know. I mean, I think FP was still in prison, so could be, but whatever. Anyway, Alice is impressed by FP's chivalry, so while he has her settled down, he gives her some advice from one parent who's had a kid run away to another. Thankfully, Betty doesn't have to kick it in a projector room or a janitor's closet because of Alice's, you know, parental failings. There's a lovely Andrews versus Lodge showdown in front of the trophy case. I love how this scene is blocked. It's really good. Hiram tries to belittle Fred for running for mayor against Hermione, but he makes some valid points. Like, Fred is awesome. He's like, look, I never went to New York. I never left Riverdale. I didn't go to New York. I didn't go to prison. So, suck on that, Hiram. And then Mary and Hermione start to fight over paperwork that nobody signed what they need to sign. And the kids finally step in and tell them to chill out. No fighting, no hitting below the belt. Everyone just needs to sign whatever they need to sign and be done. Then we go back to the Pembroke where there's some just, you know, some unexpected mob guests, Lenny and Carl, like on The Simpsons. <laughs> and the soundtrack tells us that we should be like very spooked, but, but these girls look kind of fun. I mean, they're no Papa Poutine, but I'd still hang out with them. <laughs> And, and their names are Lenny and Carl, you guys. So, <laughs> anyway. At the Andrews house, Mary tries to convince Archie to stand with Fred at his election event. And Archie says, of course he'll be there. Because in this five minutes, Archie is, we get the Archie that would do almost anything for Fred. Like, this is the kid who picked a fight with his girlfriend after she gave him shower sex because he was worried about his dad. And... He's he's going to change his tune, but he's not made very many good decisions this season. But I think we all know at the end of the day, Archie really would go to the ends of the earth for Fred. But it, and, and in this part, I was like, Mary, of course Archie's going to be there. But of course Archie is not there. Alice comes home after the debate to find... 25-year-old chick sitting in front of the TV like a five-year-old watching cartoons, and she's all bubbly like, do you want to order a pizza? But 
oh shit, the news <laughs> is showing that car Betty and Jughead sank being pulled out of the swamp. Yikes. So she calls FP and he tells Jughead to turn the TV on channel 8, but we can see from the news logo that it's channel 3. Continuity people, get it together. That wasn't even a hard one. So anyway, just as the news anchor is telling us that foul play has not been ruled out, Alice says, they found it FP, they found it. And then we get a flash shot of each of our Dew and Dirt gang. And that was pretty cool. I really liked that shot. And then so we get like, bump, 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 zzz, Riverdale. After commercial, it's presumably the next day. And this might be super creepy of me, but I know from my many Instagram stockings that this scene at Pops was shot on Skeet Ulrich's birthday. Just off screen is a little party that they have set up for him. So, and that was like not too long ago, end of January, I think. I, I don't know his birthday. I'm not that big of a freak, but <laughs> I do know that it was after my daughter's birthday party, and that was on the 13th. And I just, I just remember because like we returned some stuff the next weekend, and I was in the, we were in the car all day, and I remember seeing that those Instagram posts. Um, any hoodle. Jughead is mumbling over and over again that they should have known better. We should have known better. We should have known better. <laughs> I love the reflection of Betty and Jughead on one side and Alice and FP on the other side. Like, I think that's pretty cool. So FP wonders why Chick isn't here because he's the one who brained the guy. <laughs> Betty says, look, he didn't know anything about the car. And, and we just, you know, didn't want to pay him for the scenes. <laughs> Um, in walks Sheriff Keller and everybody like, you know, gets super nervous. FP says to keep her trap shut. So Alice decides to use this as a tool to get Betty to come home. But Betty has made it perfectly clear that she is not coming home until Chick leaves. Even though she's the one who brought him home knowing that he was a perfect stranger. But fine. FP says nobody goes near that car. So they are definitely going to go near the car. Like... Who do you think you're talking to, FP? Jeez. In Hiram's study, he's trying to explain why his mob buddies are visiting last night to Archie. Mafia, 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 blah, blah, blah. Archie gets to hang out with Lenny and Carl tonight. In the Swords and Serpents classroom that I will never get over, Sweet Pea is mad because Jughead promised war, and now he's on stage looking like Buddy Holly. Uh, no, he's not. Jughead doesn't even wear glasses. Have you ever seen Buddy Holly? I mean, come on. Ultimately, they're pissed at Jughead for dating Alice's daughter because Alice left the serpents. And for that reason, and that reason alone, Sweet Pea says, Jughead is not getting the serpent vote. Cool your jets, bro. God. <laughs> Reggie and Archie arm wrestle for the bulldog vote. Sure. Naturally, our boy Archie wins because Reggie mouthed off about Fred and Archie will find the strength of the Incredible Hulk if it means taking down someone talking shit about his dad. Unless it's last week and it's Archie talking shit. Then Molly Ringwald will have to put him in his place because she's, you know, the true hero of this town. Tony tells Veronica and Josie that Cheryl is missing and as they stand there and they're like... River Vixen shirts freshly screen printed with Team Rosie and Team Varchie on it. Sure, fine. Now that we've said Bughead 18 Brazilian times on the show, all bets are off. Tony's the only one who's been paying attention, and notice that Cheryl's social media has been radio silent, so she knows that is the number one teenage girl red flag. 
Both girls agree to help Tony find Cheryl, even if it means storming Thistle House. Uh, cut to Cheryl in her cell being verbally tortured by a nun that we haven't seen before. Um, apparently Nana Rose used to mix up Jason and Cheryl and the nun tries to like use that as for like why Cheryl's gay or bisexual and Cheryl's like, no, she has cataracts. The real abuse is the shit that I took from my mother and father. And Sister New Nun is like, okay, well, to the physical torture chamber with you then. So then we go to a scene from The Godfather where they even have, like, the mandolin music playing. Jesus. While Hiram eats dinner with Lenny and Carl, and Archie gets to hang out with the big boys, Andre and fake FBI agent Adams off to the side. It would have been hilarious if we could have seen one of them sneak a breadstick while the mob guys are getting all mobby. I'm just saying, it would have been really funny if, like, Andre had, like, some spaghetti, like, up his sleeve and he just... <laughs> just me? Okay, well, fine. Uh, Lenny and Carl want a piece of the prison profit pie since Hermione's mayor campaign will put the five families in the public eye and that threatens them somehow. Hiram turns down their Shark Tank offer, so they resort to name-calling our three side pieces over there, and apparently you do not call Archie a zip-faced teenager because he gets all alpha male and struts over there and is like, look, I beat up Nick St. Clair, and I'm officially taking responsibility for Papa Poutine's murder, so don't fuck with us. He is so Betty from last episode when she was like, I catch bad men and then list them off. So they just laugh at Archie and then tell Hiram to consider their offer some more. Outside the restaurant, I, <laughs> when they're leaving, Hiram tells Archie, look, you cannot be all come at me, bro, to some mobsters without anything to back it up. He calls Archie a good boy, like the sweet little naive puppy that he is. And then at the Jones trailer, Betty wants to know what it will take for Sweet Pea and Fangs to accept her. Will she have to wear plaid? Perish the thought, our dear sweater angel. And then these kids, oh my God, they frustrate me so much because I love them so much, I swear. Betty obviously cannot let sleeping dogs lie. Help! she visited a dead body in the middle of broad daylight, like good grief. Jughead says, look, I know our parents told us to act normal, but what is our normal? And Betty's like, playing Scooby-Doo! So that's what they're going to fucking do. I know it wouldn't be good TV if they just stayed home and did homework for the classes that they don't go to, but they give me such a headache. <laughs> I'm so worried about them all the time. So they meet with Kevin to get details about the car. And they make up some bullshit story about how they're going to write an article about um, the environment when, again, they're not even on the newspaper anymore. What is this article for? <sighs> Kevin says the owner claimed it this morning. And Betty and Jughead all but blow their cover when they're like, Gulp. <laughs> Cut to commercial. When we come back, Alice lectures them on being stupid on stupidly asking Kevin for details. And I love how they've crammed five people into this tiny living room instead of meeting at the Cooper house because Betty's like, no, I'm not going in there. So everybody has to go to FP's house now. <laughs> Betty is wearing the 
best sweater ever, by the way. Like, this whole episode, her sweater game is on point, but this one is my fave. It's, it's awesome. It's light blue with, like, a big white sheer square at, col at the collar, and then it has blue and red flowers at the neck. It is, I mean, like, I wouldn't wear it, but it, it is awesome. I love it. It looks really good on Lily Reinhardt. And, like, okay, so anyway, Chick tells us how drug dealer McShady Man always borrowed his girlfriend's car because he didn't have wheels. Like, he must not be very good at selling drugs. That's, like, what's supposed to give you a lot of money. Betty says that someone called the Shady Man's phone while she had it, and she makes a point to give him a name, Dwayne. And then Chick confirms that the girlfriend's name is Darla. Okay, so for how many damn episodes have we been calling this poor murder victim the Shady Man? This whole time Betty knew that his name was Dwayne? Like, she literally just called him the Shady Man in the same sentence. I don't understand. Alice demands that Betty come home now before Hal finds out and sticks his nose in and Chick offers to move out and Betty's like, great, I'll come home when he's gone. And Alice is like, nope, fuck that young lady. You're coming home with me now. And FP, if you don't back me up on this, I'll tear this trailer apart with my bare hands. And FP looks at Betty like, you and I both know that she can do it. Pack your bags, girly. Poor Betty. And I mean, poor FP, like that's his home. He, he's recently out of prison. So then we get a scene where Cheryl is lugging bags of, they're just full of something very heavy, probably the souls and personalities of all their past residents. Like, you know, Polly's personality is probably in there. Chick's conscience is probably in there. Who knows? And when Sister Woodhouse comes in, and she's the nun that we've seen throughout the series, and she tells her to start over and move him to the other corner, and some nonsense about how Cheryl will never get better if she doesn't listen. Ugh. Tony, come save your girl ASAP. Speaking of, Tony, Josie, and Veronica have forced themselves into Thistle House, and they try, they try to shake Penelope down for answers about Cheryl's whereabouts. But this is not Penelope's first rodeo. So she shows Josie the drawing that Cheryl did in episode 7 of this season. The, the Tales from the Dark Side. The same one that we mentioned earlier. And Josie knows that, knows that from this drawing like what it means. Because the pig's heart that she thought Chuck gave her had a similar drawing. So she knows that Cheryl was the one behind it. And it's very creepy. But ultimately what this says about Penelope is that she found this but it took dating another girl is that's what truly sent Penelope off the edge and that's what makes her despicable like amongst many other reasons but how long had she known about Cheryl's like drawing game you know and and she probably she might even know about the pig's heart she might have got it for her who knows but because Cheryl likes a girl that's why Penelope sent her to the mental institution and like for her inheritance and whatever. <sighs> so Josie's out of the rescue gang. Oh, and I forgot to mention that Nana is out of the hospital and back at Thistle House and she doesn't have lines, but at least she's not flat like a pancake at the bottom of the stairs. So that's an improvement. 
at the Cooper house, Betty is back home and wants Alice to sign a consent form so she can get a serpent tattoo to show up Sweet Pea and Fangs. And Alice is like, are you high? What the fuck makes you think I'm going to, I'm going to sign this? It's me. And Betty's like, just sign it or I'll find a tattoo shop that'll do it anyway. Two notes on this. Why doesn't she have Tony do it? I mean, she apparently has, like, an at-home kit that she used on Jughead. Surely, like, she can do one for Betty. And trivia time. So this isn't a question. This is just a note. When the cast all came together for their first read-through, Machen and Lily noticed that they have the same tattoo in the same place. Like, this is the first time they've met, and they noticed this. It's a, It's like a small thin arrow on their forearm. Like, isn't that the craziest coincidence? Anyway, I just, I felt like I had to mention that because, you know, Betty's talking about getting a tattoo. So just then Chick comes home with Darla because he's just trying to help. Bullshit. I think he's in on it. Anyway, Darla almost looks like she could be a Cooper herself, like from the like trashy side of the family, you know? And by that, I mean, she's a white woman with blonde hair and blue eyes. Anyway, at the Andrews house, Jughead is helping Fred work on his announcement speech, and Archie is clearly uncomfortable with Ar- with Jughead being there, but I, for one, thought it was nice to see Jughead back in the Andrews house. I liked it. Okay, so we go back to the Cooper house, and I just have Darla is a delight. <laughs> she basically calls all of their bullshit, and Alice serves some, like, strange pink tea. I hope it isn't Penelope's recipe or they are all liable to get pushed down the stairs. Anyway, Darla doesn't care what happened to Dwayne. She won't ask questions as long as she gets the 10 grand that he owed her. And there, you know, there's some discussion about going to the bank and Alice tries to send Betty to the bank, but she's like, mom, it doesn't open until nine the next morning till tomorrow. So Darla says, I can wait. Got any board games? <laughs> nice callback to the to the clue game that Alice and Chick were playing. I I kind of hope Darla's reoccurring. <laughs> I almost have like like her in a sick way, almost as much as Penny Peabody. Oh, so then Archie's gone over to Veronica's to gripe about his strange relationship with his dad that you fucking caused, Archie. When they walk in the lobby and they find Andre getting beaten with a hammer by the Black Hood. OMG! Archie recognizes those fucking eyes and takes after him while Veronica stays and comforts Andre. And Archie's been training, I guess, with Hiram every morning, you know, going on their runs. And he tackles the Black Hood and rips off the hood and oh shit, it's fake FBI guy Arthur Adams. Da, da, da. And and we, I guess we know that this is the real Black Hood because he recognizes those eyes. So, anyway, Adams throws a solid punch, knocking Archie down. And as he runs away, he, he says, tell your girlfriend's father to make the deal. So many questions. Is this the real Black Hood because of the eye thing? Because if it's just a mafia capo, what the hell was the point of all the sinner shit? Also, the Black Hood told Betty that she would recognize him. We have no reason to believe that Betty would know Adams from, well, Adam. So, <laughs> like, what? who is this guy? Why is he doing this? At the lodge dining table, 
The adults grumble about Adam's churning, and they're all like, Archie offers to watch the door, and what happened to Andre? Is he okay? Is he in the hospital? I, I need to know. I'm worried. And then Veronica's not allowed to go anywhere other than home and school, so she doesn't get whacked, and Archie's the one who's gonna, like, escort her, because he's gonna be their chauffeur and doorman now. He's gonna be the new Smithers. The next morning, Betty leaves for the bank. Alice says it should be fine because you're on my account. But I sincerely doubt a bank teller is going to give a minor 10 grand without any questions. Good grief. I feel like the account holder is going to have to be there for that kind of a transaction. Jeez. Before she goes, Darla grabs her and says, straight to the bank and straight back, blondie. As if she isn't blonde herself, but fine. Um, Penelope tells Nana Rose to behave herself while she's gone. <laughs> I've gone to where? I don't know. But she turns on Bob Ross for it to watch while she's gone. That's probably the only nice thing Penelope's ever done. You know, she like burned that check one time. But this is, this is truly like the only nice thing. She turned on some Bob Ross. <laughs> After Penelope walks out... Nana sees a telephone across the room, and she's not in her wheelchair. She's in a regular chair. So she tries to get up, but then hits the damn deck like a sack of bricks. So then she army crawls like Grandma Rambo to get the phone. Cut to a scene where the kids are actually in class. Like, I'm so perplexed. Who's holding down the couches in the lounge? Anyway, real Eleanor from The Good Place is trying to teach them history when Antoinette Topaz is called to the office for a phone call. Then we get the creepiest scene yet. Oh my God. I was really hoping that Ashley would be here so we could do some like, um, some like script reading because this is going to, this is going to be weird just for me. But anyway, Nana tells Tony that Cheryl is not far away. Huh? She's nearby. What? Cheryl, she's with the sisters. Nana Rose? <laughs> and then the line goes dead because, oh shit, Claudius, who is definitely Clifford, has busted Nana. Dun, dun, dun. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> Tony, like, Tony, get with the program. <laughs> you know what's happening. You're smarter than that. Alice calls Betty at the bank because Maurice, our friend from the hostel where we first met Chick, has now shown up to a party with Darla. And is this the is is this the same guy really? Cause I thought he looked kind of different, but I, I mean it could be the same guy. I don't know. Anyway, Alice tells her to not come home, and Chick is like, "Mom," from the other side of the room. Um, at River Vixen practice, Tony and Veronica try to put their heads together to make sense of Nana Blossom's call. When Veronica is like, "Aha! Of course." We must consult our guide in all things gay-related. So they go to Kevin. And, like, I wish he had more of a personality than just the gay kid. Can we, like, focus more on his relationship with his dad some? Those are always great scenes. Can we learn more about just his life as a person, as a kid in this this community? Why does he have to be the token gay kid in all the scenes that he's in? He deserves better. He deserves better all the way around. Anyway, 
He's like, yeah, the Sisters of Quiet Mercy are one of the last places in the country to do gay conversion therapy. Apparently, in the Depression, they used to run a distillery, and there was a tunnel that they used to bootleg their booze out of, but now, gay boys use it to sneak out and hook up with Kevin in Fox Forest. Nice. You get yours, Kevin, and poor boys whose parents don't love them. Um, he agrees to take them to the gay hookup tunnel, but they'll have to wait until it's night. Everybody knows hookup tunnels are not activated when the sun is up. That's, I mean, that's just common knowledge. Um, Betty has gone home despite Alice's pleas and Maurice is still like butthurt about getting maced. His, like his eyes are still red. That was months ago. Him and Darla apparently have no plans to leave. So when Chick stands up to tell him you have to leave now, now that you have your money, Maurice pulls out his handy dandy box cutter and threatens to cut out Betty's eyes. She looks at him like, you sir have no idea who you're fucking with. And just then, the Southside Serpents, like all of them, <laughs> bust the goddamn door down and pull their switchblades. And I should mention, it's just the teen Southside Serpents, not the adults. Anyway, it's still fucking awesome. Darla is like, well, I'll just tell the sheriff about, you know, you killing Dwayne. <laughs> and Betty and Jackhead are like, LOL, you underestimate our connection with Kevin, the sheriff's son. And chick has like a romantic relationship with kevin so between the three of them you know whatever and it was it was weird to see jughead talk down to somebody because of where they lived he was like do you think they're gonna believe us or some centerville trash like you and it's like wow jughead your whole thing is being butthurt because people judge you based on where you live and and now you're doing it to these people from centerville who admittedly are trash people, but come on. Maurice and Darla act like they're not intimidated until Jughead waves his switchblade in their face, and you know he's just looking for a tattoo to cut off of them. And box cutter Maurice and Darla agree to take the money and run. They're escorted out by the rest of the serpents. And it's it's so great. God, I love this show. <laughs> After commercial, Jughead apologizes to Alice for the door that they totally fucked up. And because this is the end of the episode, Alice, she's totally cool and thanks him. And then he's like, well, gosh, Mrs. C, we're your friendly neighborhood serpents. It's what we do. Thumbs up and a wink. Not really, but that's what it felt like. Alice tells Chick that he's put them in danger twice now, so it's time you get to step in. You're not going to spend another night here. Peace. I love end of episode Alice. She's always the best. And like, it's like a real yin and, yin and yang thing because beginning of the episode, Alice is always fierce and determined and she's a powerhouse. But you know, after the 30 minute mark, she's going to be emotional and have, she's going to learn some lessons and she's going to, you know, stuff's really going to come out. It's going to get deep. It's going to get real. I love Alice. She is just the best character. At the Pembroke, Veronica and Archie are being all cutesy when they're interrupted by Hiram. And like, they can't even get a kiss in. He tells Archie that he's agreed to pay Lenny and Carl to avoid war. And Archie, like, the way Archie reacts, he has something that he wants Hiram to do before he tells Lenny and Carl that he agrees with their deal. And of course, we don't get to find out what it is yet. Um, we get to see it in action. 
cut to Fred's announcement and they, they have to start it even though Archie hasn't shown up and it's, it's kind of sad. I feel really bad for Luke. Oh, <laughs> for Fred. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to go with it. Luke Perry is glad that Molly Ringwald is here and I'm just so happy that both of them are here in my life again after all of these years. Swoon. So anyway, Fred announces his, his uh, Fred announces his candidacy for mayor. Good times. At Pops, instead of, you know, supporting his family, Archie's there hanging out with Reggie and he says, look, if I, if you help me with the actual mafia, if you put your life in danger, I'll guarantee the bulldog votes for your student body president campaign. <laughs> it's a bad deal for Reggie, but he agrees to it. And can the rest of the bulldogs not pick for themselves? Why does everything have to be groupthink in this damn town? The serpent should all be able to vote for who they want to vote for, and the bulldog should all be able to vote for who they want to vote for. Jeez. At the Pembroke, Tony is waiting for Catwoman Veronica, who I am so on board with, by the way. That cat suit looked amazing on her. Not a great choice for doing some, like, you know, for doing dirt and sneaking in and out of places, especially the heels, but. It was gorgeous. Operation Save Cheryl is underway. Kevin's going to play lookout at the top of the tunnel while the girls go in. And there's this great scene of Cheryl crying because she has ugly shoes. Oh, honey. Tony busts into the movie night room and gets Cheryl and pulls her into the kiss that we have been waiting for with the projector light behind them. It was magnificent. Oh my God, it was a beautiful scene. I mean, they definitely kissed for way too long because they're on the run. They should get out. And as my coworker, Laura, pointed out today, um, kiss once you get out of the tunnel, not not in there while like the nuns are there and can hurt you or sedate you or whatever. So Veronica busts them, busts in and tells them, stop making out already. The nuns are on their way. She doesn't really say that, but that was pretty much the gist. So they run through through the school I don't know what you call it and they run through the tunnel and the nuns like creepily speed walk right on their heels like the girls are hauling ass running and those nuns are not running and they are right behind them at every turn and they just barely make it out of the tunnel in time when Tony locks the door of the crowbar mission success Okay, so then we go to Mafia Meal number two, and it appears that Hiram won't be attending, according to the very handsome waiter. Who's that guy? Can he be on the show? Like, you know, more than this time? He tells them that they should go check on their car, and then it blows up, like Jack McKay's did on 90210. Gosh, I hope Fred wasn't around. That could charge up some serious PTSD for him. Apparently, Archie's big plan was to form yet another vigilante group with his fellow football players, this time calling themselves the Dark Circle and wearing Mortal Kombat costumes. Fine. And they threaten the Mafia men to leave town. They're, they're the literal Mafia. Guys, you're teenagers. They're, they're trained assassins. Like, that's what they do. They kill people who get in their way. And you are actively getting in their way. Just when you think the mob guys are going to put Archie in his place, we hear police sirens. And since everyone here is technically a criminal, I mean, even our quote-unquote good guys blew up a car, they all disperse. The next morning, Mary wants to know what the 
fuck is up with Archie before she leaves town again? She says, you used to worship your dad. You used to play music. You, Jughead, and Betty used to be inseparable. Now I don't even recognize you, Archie. Good God, I hope this is what he needs to hear to get back to being pre-Mafia Archie. Like, season one Archie was clueless, but his cluelessness wasn't dangerous then. Now there are lives on the line, and just someone needs to rescue him from himself. Alice has come to the Swords and Serpents classroom to thank the serpents for um, getting those people out of her house and defending her and coming to their aid. And she says that she is done attacking and disavowing the South Side. It's where she's from, and she should she should be proud of that. And like her daughter, she will fight tooth and nail for the South Side. First order of business, though, boning FP. That's my girl. <laughs> the lodges reward Archie with a blue convertible Thunderbird for his shenanigans. And was anyone else terrified that the car was going to blow up to, like, smithereens when Veronica started the engine? Whew. I apparently, like Fred, am still reeling from Dylan's dad getting blowed up over 20 years ago. Oh. In the student lounge, that thankfully someone is occupying again, Tony asks Cheryl where, what her next move is. She says, and like, where did Cheryl spend the night last night? Where did she get her clothes? Surely they didn't take her back to Thistle House. Anyway, but she says if revenge is a dish best served cold, her mother and Claudius, who is definitely Clifford, better prepare for a vortex. But there's something even more pressing than that. Kevin is just trying to get a snack from the vending machine when Cheryl informs him that uh, she'll be playing the lead role in the musical he's directing because obviously she's Riverdale's High's Carrie White and this school is going to burn. Damn. Zzz, Riverdale. So that's the end of the episode. This episode was awesome and nuts and I loved it. I have a lot of questions that I hope they answer but still. It was pretty good. Um, so for our most Archie Comics moments, I, <laughs> I couldn't really pull a lot, but I'm thinking Archie's jalopy in the comics is a far cry from the blue Thunderbird he got at the end of the episode. So I don't know. Um, best Blossom Burn. There were several Blossom scenes, but no pointed burns. Mm. The Blossoms have evolved from being catty and awful, but kind of awesome, to being straight up murderous with their lines. So, I don't, I don't know. I guess when Claudius cut the phone line, I mean that it was really fucked up. But I, I got nothing else. So we'll move to good, bad, funnies. My good this week is Alice has finally pulled a stick out of her ass and is officially back with the serpents, and that she kicked Chick out. So kudos to her. Uh, my bad is that. Betty and Jughead's parents are now officially fucking. Ew. Also, I I love them bringing up the fact that gay conversion therapy is a thing and there are monsters out there who do it and it's wrong and it's the villains who make that happen. So we should vilify people who believe in that because it's awful and we should just love everybody no matter who they love. Because as my man Lynn Well says, love is love is love is love. Anyway, it's problematic. And I think it's problematic for 
LGBTQIA kids who are coming to terms with coming out and they might see how Cheryl's family reacted and fear that their family will not necessarily do the same like they won't torture them but they could very well put them in gay conversion therapy and that might stop them from living their truth and it's just I, I don't know I'm super torn on it my funny for this week when Reggie said that that they, that the school should vote for him and Josie because they're chill unlike the rest of the dais which is made up of our core four he's the worst but he's so right this <laughs> is so funny <laughs> for changes I would have made it clear where Cheryl is living now because surely she's not going back to Thistle House like there should have been a line in there somewhere about how much how much safer she feels now that she's staying with Tony or at Benny's or in Jughead's old janitor closet <laughs> you know I I just I need to know and also I wish Archie should have I wish he would have turned down the car like I think it would have been better writing if he said no thank you to the lodges because he's he doesn't need to be taking their bribes and stuff I just he needs to make up with his dad and he needs he needs to get back on the right side of history I guess it's I don't know I'm so conflicted with my poor boy um for theories I don't even know what to theorize on anymore like what do we think about Adams being the black hood? Is it legit because of the eye thing? Probably not, but like, I can't even get my thoughts straight at this point on the whole black hood thing. Like I swear to God, they better revisit it when, when they come back for Sabrina news. I think we pretty much covered all the big news last week. The only actual new information I could find, and this is dumb. It's just that Ross Lynch is dying his hair his blonde hair dark brown for his role as Harvey and that he changed his Instagram picture to the like his profile picture to the original comic cartoon Harvey and I don't mean that's dumb that he's doing that I mean it's dumb that like that was news <laughs> that's all I could find um for Skeet's dadgram corner we get a lot of Reggie in this episode so I'm going at the picture that Charles Melton posted on March 2nd of him as Reggie and his Riverdale letter jacket. So, you know, it has like a big R on the side, on, on the jacket. And his caption just read, Reggie. So, our dear sweet Skeet, his natural dad instincts came through with his comment. So, that's what the R stands for. Three exclamation points, of course. Boy, that might be his daddiest dad joke yet. It was, it was pretty rough. And uh, all right, friends, I think that's it for this week. We'll be back after April 18th with a recap of the musical episode, Chapter 31, A Night to Remember. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. That helps other adult Riverdale fans find us and join our safe space where we can talk about all sides of the show. Um, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, you can find me at Sharibi or on Instagram, just lightly stalking the entire cast at Sheree04. You can always email me at realhousewivesofriverdale at gmail.com if you think you've curated a better Blossom Burn or Archie moment, if you've got um, news about the cast because we've learned this week that our cast is, a lot of our cast are going to be in movies this summer and it's all very exciting. 
um, will have to take a lot of field trips <laughs> um, to go see their movies. I'm going to have to find a regular sitter because um, I still haven't even seen Black Panther or Love, Simon yet. That's how behind the times I am. Anyway, um, I'm always happy to chat about Riverdale, so anything you find, hit me up. We'll chat about it, and that's really cool. Until next time, channel your inner Bob Ross and paint yourself some happy little trees to get you by until April 18th. We'll make the winter springtime and jingle jangle sing time right on to the summer and the fall. So darling, don't be weeping and please don't you be sleeping when I come creeping down the hall.